Thank you. Thank you, brothers and sisters. Please sit down. Such a joy to be in this church. Thank you, Pastor Mitch. Thank you, Belinda, and other leaders of this church. Um, this is a familiar sight to me because I attend a Pentecostal church in Nairobi. It's called uh, Sitam or Christ is the Answer Ministries. And uh, I don't know if any of you have visited there or been there, but uh, it's, it's much larger than this. Uh, we have two services on Sunday, I think totaling about anywhere between eight to 10,000 people, uh, which is big, but I really feel very much at home here. Uh, and so praise the Lord, glory to his holy name, a place where the Lord is exalted and where you are missions-minded and you prove it through your giving. Praise the Lord. What a joy to partner with you. Uh, uh, and for Open Doors, it's just a delight to connect churches in countries like Australia with the churches uh, composed of Christians who are persecuted in many countries where it really is very difficult uh, to live out your faith in Christ. And so as I was thinking about what to say, uh, the thought that came to mind was to talk about living stones. Living stones. Uh, there was a little slide that I had put together. It's okay if it, if it isn't uh, able to be put up. But it's just a few verses from 1 Peter 2, 4 to 6. 1 Peter 2, 4 to 6. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Let me pray. Gracious Father, what a joy to be here with my brothers and sisters in Christ. What a joy to know that this is a mission church, oh God, a sending church, a church that supports the body of Christ around the world. Oh God, thank you. I know that as you look at all of us here right now, oh God, you look at us with love. You look at us, Lord, as people of purpose, as part of the body of Christ, oh Lord, that you have called to go into the world and to change it for Christ. I thank you, Lord, that together we are stronger than alone. And so what a delight to partner with this church and this church to partner with Open Doors and other ministries. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much. Bless your word as we share it together. In the name of Jesus, amen. I really praise the Lord that uh, Open Doors serves persecuted Christians all over the world. You're probably familiar with our annual World Watch list. Uh, which lists, lists the top 50 countries in the world where it's most difficult to live as a Christian. North Korea has held the top spot uh, since the founding of the World Watch list. Afghanistan was at number two last year. This year, it's at number seven. Uh, and there's a variety of factors that go into how we calculate the eventual scores uh, for research that place a country within a certain uh, number of points. But the, the main issue is this. In each of those 50 countries, there are believers in Christ who are living lives that glorify God. They live with joy, but at the same time, they live under great duress, great difficulty. 
and many are not free to gather as we are doing here today. So I'm grateful to God for the millions of persecuted Christians. We estimate there's 360 million persecuted Christians in the world. That's a huge number. And Open Doors, which is, by the way, the largest ministry serving persecuted Christians, we estimate that we serve anywhere between 7 to 10 million. And the reason it's hard to get a precise number is because the data gathering is a little bit tricky sometimes. How many times do you count, right, the same person in terms of them getting a Bible, in terms of them getting a health package or a food package? But we're cleaning up our data, and we'll be able to have a more accurate count. But I really think when the Lord looks at those 360 million, he sees them just like you and me, people saved by the blood of Jesus. They just happen to live in places where it's hard to express their faith freely. So they are not any more special than you and me, really. But because we're the body of Christ, and the scripture tells us when one part of the body hurts, the rest of us rally, right? To help the part that is hurting. And so amazingly, the body of Christ, it's his own doctor under the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need any other external power to come in. The, the Lord is the commander of the body of Christ. He's the head. And so from him, his power flows down through us, and we heal and help and support one another. And the best and I think even easiest way, although that word is relative, that we can help one another is through prayer. Prayer. Never underestimate the power of your praying. Never say, Lord, surely, how can a simple prayer of mine change the life of a Christian in North Korea or Afghanistan? The Lord hears our prayers prayed by faith. And so, really, brothers and sisters, it's such a joy to know that we serve millions of persecuted Christians around the world. Many of them, I, we can call them heroes of the faith. You know, like Hebrews 11, right? There's a whole list of heroes of the faith. And I think we can call some of them heroes of the faith. Some of them are very unassuming. I met a 16-year-old girl in Cameroon, which is in Central Africa. And in fact, before we started the meeting, uh, I noticed her standing near the door. She was very shy. She didn't want to come in into the room before the guests walked in. And I think you all understand that in many parts of Africa, you know, older people are respected. It's not like here. I get great respect, okay? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Relax. So uh, really, she was showing us respect. And so she didn't want to, want to enter the room before we entered and sat down. And actually, one of our uh, partners, a dear sister, she is the one who eventually came, put her arm around her and said, come on, come on in. These are your friends. There's no need to be shy. So she sat down and then started telling us her story. There were a number of young people seated there, and they each told us their story. But let me focus on this young lady, because really, I can say that her faith was the most striking to me in the past five years I, since I joined Open Doors. And so she told us her story. It's tragic, okay, in a way because she um, experienced some really difficult situations. But she told us that uh, one day a friend of hers gave her a New Testament. She's Muslim, grew up in a Muslim home, never read the Bible, 
And this friend, who was also a Muslim, but had started reading the Bible, gave her the New Testament and told her, you should read this book. It has words in it that are amazing. She started to read it. And of course, she hid from her mother that she was reading the Bible. As she read it, the Lord spoke to her. And as the Lord spoke to her, she received it. And she put her faith in Christ just from reading that New Testament. And she kept it hidden, but one day, and obviously, who is the enemy of God's people? Satan. And I think Satan somehow helped her mother to one day find that Bible. She was just going through her daughter's stuff. She comes across this Bible. She was shocked. So she called her daughter and said, what is this? And her daughter said, that's mine. Her mother said, but you're a Muslim. What are you doing with a Bible? She said, actually, mom, the Bible is not only mine, but I now belong to Jesus Christ. I put my faith in him. I read that book, and the Lord spoke to me, and I now believe in him. Her mother was so furious, she beat her. And from that point on, uh, it's hard to imagine that, right? Those of us who are parents, you know, how do you beat your child because she has changed her faith? But her mother was furious because of the shame that she imagined she would face in that community from her own people. So she beat her daughter and said, you must change back to becoming a Muslim. And she said, I won't. Jesus is real to me. He comforts me. He encourages me. I sense him speaking to me. I can't change, Mom. So her mother from that point started taking steps to reconvert her daughter. And one of the things she did, um, and I hope everybody's comfortable with these details. Uh, I'll try not to get too graphic. But uh, one of the things she did is she sent her daughter to a witch doctor, a shaman. Okay, and the idea was that the shaman would use the power of Satan to change her mind and her soul so that she could reconvert to become a Muslim. Didn't work. Didn't work. And then the man ratcheted it up. And he attempted to rape her one day as a way of transferring those evil spirits into her, which would do their work of changing her mind and her soul. He didn't succeed. Now, this girl is small, brothers and sisters. Okay, she's tiny. She's about that tall, very slim. And when she tells you this man did not succeed, you know it could only have been by the power of God. Right? So she must have been praying, crying out to Jesus, Lord Jesus, help me. And the Lord helped her. He didn't succeed. She fled from that place. She had nowhere to go. But the Lord provided a place for her because she met a Christian woman. And this Christian woman takes in young girls like her who have turned to Christ from Islam, and she keeps them in her home. She is not a wealthy woman. She's, in fact, I could say she is really doesn't have much. But what she has, she shares with those girls. She feeds them. She provides for their needs. And this woman was, became connected to our ministry. And so we now provide support to her so she can care for these girls. So after this girl finished telling her story, uh, I thanked her. And I said, my, 
I, I said to her, uh, anyway, I know her name, but I said to her, tell me, did you at any point, were you ever tempted to just give up and say, let me go back to Islam because this torture is too much? That girl, her eyes as bright as a light, looked me straight in my eyes. Now, remember I told you in Africa, you know, age is respected, younger to older. But that was the first time she'd established eye contact with me, and she said, never. How could I? Jesus Christ is my all in all. Just, it, it was just astonishing how this young girl had already developed such a mature faith. So the point of this story, friends, is that that little girl is a living stone. Right? She's a living stone. She is dead to sin, alive in Christ. The Lord raised her, right, to believe in him, and she is now a living stone that was rejected by humans, her own mother, right? But now she is part of this great spiritual house, as this passage we read says. She's part of this great spiritual house called the body of Christ. Friends, I came to the living stone, me personally. I came to the living stone, Jesus Christ, at a youth camp near Nairobi when I was 14 years old. So we weren't that far in different in age with this little girl. I wasn't that mature and that sure of my faith when I was 14. I tell you, I was very shy as a kid. And I remember when I was at this Bible camp, and uh, it was the last day, we'd had a great time. And the brother who preached the gospel, he said, is there anyone here who has not yet put their faith in Christ and you want to believe in him? I thought, that's me. Then he said, put up your hand. I said, oh, no, I'm not putting up my hand. You know, I thought, how can I put up my hand in front of all these people? And then uh, the Lord just spoke to me and said, it's okay. So I put up my hand. And then he said, now I want you to walk to the front. I said, why doesn't this man stop? It's enough that I put up my hand. But I did. Got up, walked to the front, met a counselor there, and he explained to me what it meant to put my faith in Christ, and I prayed with him. And that is when I became a living stone in God's great spiritual house. Friends, you two are living stones. Okay? A natural stone is what? Dead. Dead. If any of you are masons or builders, right? You can't tell a stone that you're going to put on a wall. Hey, you, get up. Walk. Get on that wall. Absolutely not. You pick it up, right? You, you put plaster on it and you stick it on the wall. Right? It's dead. Can't walk, can't talk, can't feel, speak, think, right? But for us, living stones, we came to Christ willingly because God gave us a free will. That little girl I talked about came to Christ willingly when she understood she had a free will and she could choose to follow him. So how wonderful that we have this free will that God has given to us. Friends, in God's spiritual house, we co-labor and we are co-dependent on one another, right? And again, I just love so much what you said, Mitch, you know, how you support a number of ministries. Uh, you don't have missionaries you send out, but you trust those ministries, right, to deliver the purposes that this church believes in. And I hope you are content that Open Doors is doing that, 
And, and if you're not, please, you know, take us aside, you know, and, and to say a few things to us, and we'll definitely, you know, step up our game. Uh, but we do have uh, our people who serve uh, in just about, in all the countries, actually, where we work in. Um, we are careful uh, not to refer to them by name or anything like that, obviously, because uh, we have to be covert. Uh, but I have always been touched and immensely moved when I meet people on the front lines, many of whom are persecuted Christians, okay? So they serve in this ministry called Open Doors, but they're persecuted Christians. But they will never tell you they serve in Open Doors because we don't use that name in the field, okay? We just say it's a ministry to persecuted Christians and it's just a way of being covert. But you, I have met them and I have never heard them complain to say, oh, it's so hard to follow Christ. I have never heard them say, oh, I feel like quitting. I have never heard them say, you know what, if only I could be somewhere else. Each one is content. I remember the most touching letter I read, and Gabe, you may remember this and, and uh, others, but the most touching letter I read came from North Korea. And it was just simple words, maybe four sentences, and it said something like, uh, we are so touched that you pray for us. And we just want to encourage you and let you know that we are standing for Christ. We are living for him. We are determined to follow him, whatever it will cost us. Simple, right? But it says it all. You're like, oh my. You know, North Korea is the harshest place in the world to be a Christian. You can get shot for having a Bible. You know that. And those labor camps where they send Christians are a death trap. And the few who have escaped, when you read their stories, you say, how in the world is there a country like this in the world? And uh, I hope you pray for the believers in North Korea, but also pray for Kim Jong-un, the head of state. I pray for him regularly. I pray against his foul philosophy, philosophy uh, called Juche, okay, which uh, promotes the adoration of human beings, the worship of men. Okay, and so, friends, you're a Pentecostal church. You know that there's something called spiritual warfare, right? And therefore, when we pray, we also address those principalities and powers over that nation, and we tell God to confuse them, to uproot them, to bring them down, so that the people of God can worship Him freely. You know, I think, when I think of North Korea, I think of Pharaoh, who Moses went to time and again and said, let my people go to worship the Lord. And he kept saying, no, no, no. And it's very similar, right? Because Pharaoh was a type of God. He was worshipped by his people. But eventually, the judgment of God came on the Egyptian gods at the time and on Pharaoh himself. And, you know, sometimes I wonder. This is just me wondering. I don't have facts, evidence, but I say, why are there perennial famines in North Korea? Part of it is the poor policies of the government, right? But isn't it similar soils to what is in South Korea? How come they can't get their act together? And honestly, friends, I sometimes say to myself, it must be because the Lord is hearing the prayers of so many who are saying, Lord, bring down that government of Kim Jong-un so that your people can be free to worship you. There is no blessing when you oppress believers in Christ. Abs right? Absolutely no blessing. In fact, there are curses that come upon you. So here's a story 
that I don't know if you are familiar with, but uh, it's a story from Afghanistan. It starts from way back, and I read this in a book written by a man called Christy Wilson, More to be Desired Than Gold. And so after much prayer and negotiation by Christy Wilson, who went to Afghanistan in 1952, the Community Christian Church of Kabul building was dedicated on Pentecost Sunday, 17th May, 1970. Three years later, the Afghan government ordered the demolition of the church. Christians all around the world prayed and many wrote letters to Afghan embassies in various countries. Billy Graham and other Christian leaders signed a statement of concern and sent it to King Zahir Shah, who was in power at the time. All to no avail. On 13 June 1973, the bulldozers started their demolition of the church building. After a few weeks, the church building had been totally razed to the ground and the rubble cleared. Then, to everyone's surprise, the bulldozers didn't leave. Instead, they started to dig. Having heard rumors of an underground church, Afghan secret police ordered the bulldozers to dig 12 feet below the foundations. Finally, on 17 July 1973, having completed the demolition and having failed to find any underground church, the bulldozers packed up and went home. The story doesn't end there. That very night, the Afghanistan government was overthrown in a coup. That very night. It had been a monarchy for 227 years. Many Afghanis who were not believers in Christ, they were Muslims, being uh, superstitious, they said, ah, the reason is because we destroyed the church of God. All right? Only God knows whether the coup was because of that deed. But the point I'm making is that there is no blessing for oppressing believers in Christ. Right? That is the main point. So friends, you and me are living stones. People like the girl I told you about are living stones. People like the Afghani believers that are supported through Open Doors and others are living stones. Right? That's what keeps them going. If there were dead stones, and I know you have a great barrier reef with coral on it, similar to the coral reef that we have in Kenya. And you know that when coral dies, it turns into sand. The white sand that comes on the beach is from coral, right? But coral is living. But when it dies, it's actually only good for sitting on a beach. But when it's alive, it's beautiful, right? Those of you who have gone scuba diving, it's lovely. Fish live there, other organisms live there, right? It's a marvelous ecosystem. You know, friends, we as living stones are also a marvelous ecosystem as a body of Christ, right? There's life. There's life. The life of Christ flows out from us. The Holy Spirit does his work. And so, friends, really, when you think of the body of Christ, which is something I've thought about more than ever since I joined Open Doors, think global. Always think global, okay? There is no local church that is not a member of the global body of Christ, right? And so I'm so glad that you act <laughs> like the body of Christ, thinking globally, right? 
And we need to promote this more and more and challenge other believers to, yes, your local church, but you must always think globally because that's how God works. Now, friends, here's the difficult point I come to, which is, why is it that some believers in Christ suffer for their faith in such even dramatic ways while the rest of us seem to go relatively scot-free? It's not actually true that we go scot-free. It isn't. Seriously, it's not true. Perhaps it's because we are not living a life that is radical enough for Christ in our own communities. We're not taking the risk to tell others about Jesus, okay? And the risk that it can cause to us will probably not be imprisonment. It may be ridicule. It may be some harassment, right? But that seems to be a fairly small price compared to the price that others pay. And if the whole church was alive to achieving the Great Commission, we would have more persecution taking place in the world, right? But it's worth it. Yes. Just like that little girl said to me, how could I? He's everything to me. It is worth it, brothers and sisters. Don't let your life on this earth end, end one day without you having told a single person that Jesus Christ is Lord and receive maybe some ridicule for it or harassment. Don't let your life end without you determining that you will care so deeply for Christ and for the faith he has given to you and me that you can take some small risks, right? Because others take much bigger risks. And I challenge myself with this every day. Lord, am I taking enough risks for you personally? Okay, is it costing me something to be a believer in Jesus Christ, right? And we all have to ask ourselves this question every time because we are living stones. We are made to breathe life, right, into others, the life of the Holy Spirit. And so, friends, it's such a joy to be here with you. Thank you again for your warm welcome to me. Thank you again for your partnership uh, with Open Doors. Thank you to my colleagues who are here uh, and have come to so we can support one another. Uh, and thank you so much, Mitch, uh, for your warm welcome to me. Can I pray and hand it back to you? Okay. Gracious Father, thank you for this church. Lord, bless the members of this church, each one of them. Oh, God, fill their hearts with your love, with your joy, with your truth. As they worship you, God, let their hearts sing to you the great and mighty King. Lord, direct their plans so that they may always be glorifying to you. Father, bless the worship team that leads the singing. May their hearts indeed sing for you. Thank you, Lord. Bless my brothers and sisters. Thank you for the partnership we share in the gospel. Thank you for our unity as the body of Christ. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.